This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to another episode of Reform This, your faithful American Muslim patriot who every week helps us breach the fault lines between the Islamist world and the West, the land of freedom, the land of liberty. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, yes, we are under attack. Uh, from day to day, hour to hour, the fronts continue to widen, and I hope this is the place that you keep coming back to to get some hope, to believe that there are real solutions out there, and there are American Muslims who take this fight seriously, who appreciate our freedom in a way that uh, we need to give back to you, our faithful audience, not only in America but across the world, to anyone, anyone who believes that the solution to humanity is about freedom and liberty, and that the plague on humanity is theocracy, autocracy, dictatorship, and any absence of religious freedom, political freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to have no religion. Thank you for being with me here on Reform This. Uh, This week we have a lot to talk about, but we have to, we have to talk about the the elephant in the room, which is the whole kerfuffle about the debate, the ongoing tit-for-tat uh, that happened earlier this week between the Republican presidential candidate uh, Donald Trump and the DNC uh, convention speakers, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Khan. The Khans are a gold star family who suffered the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate loss that no parent would ever, ever, can ever imagine suffering, which is the loss of their son. And they lost their son in war, a son who had taken that risk, joined the U.S. Army and served, uh, was called to serve an active duty in Iraq and was a victim of a suicide bombing uh, while he served and, you know, listen, this debate that has happened has, I think, solidified one of the central reasons that I do my work. And, you know, I'll get to some of the politics of it later, but at the end of the day, the Gold Star families, and I served 11 years, and, uh, you know, the the problem with uh, Mr. Trump's response is not only what he said, but just the, the fact that he responded. Our greatest weapon against radical Islam is our American nationalism. And deeper into that, our greatest weapon against Islamo-nationalism, Islamo-patriotism, that belief that the Islamic states are what Muslims would want to die for, is teaching our youth, as I've told you before on this program, that there's nothing they would want to die for 
at all other than America. Well, regardless of what Humayun's parents' politics are, regardless of what his familial politics or maybe even his own politics were, he paid the ultimate sacrifice and is buried as an American hero in Arlington Cemetery. And in exchange for that, we give his family, we give the families of all Gold Star families a pass. We we do not engage in back and forth. And yes, many of these families do end up being used in the banter of political back and forth. Cindy Sheehan is a Gold Star parent and had also suffered the ultimate loss. And think back to how President Bush responded Think back to how President Bush responded to not only Cindy Sheehan, but other parents that sometimes he said he allowed to scream at him and blame him for their kid's death. And and he said, you know, they're right. They have a right to be angry. I did send them to this war. That is leadership. Mr. Trump, on the other hand, responded by saying, that if he had been president, he would not have sent them to this war, that somehow a grieving parent is supposed to find solace in their the fact that their son died, that he wouldn't have died, supposedly, through the clairvoyance tit-for-tat of Mr. Trump, that somehow they wouldn't have died. Another bizarre response. And then Mr. Trump got into... Uh, bizarre comparisons of his own sacrifices and it it just it's it's it makes me viscerally ill thinking about what this presidential candidate for a movement that I believe I thought was my movement I was a part of the conservative movement I am a conservative but uh, this individual who has somehow gotten this mantle um, has taken the very central issue and by the way, you know, one of the, the things I wanted to make sure you understood from my perspective is that, you know, the only reason we are here today is not only the fact that Mr. Trump did not just keep his mouth shut and target his campaign banter to Secretary Clinton, targeted to her surrogates, targeted to um, those with whom he can debate ideas. No. He had to target it back and respond and quote, as he says, hit back to the cons and those who attacked him. That's not for him to do. It's unpresidential. It's bullying coming from a candidate with the largest platform in the world. But on the other hand, not only is it reprehensible for a candidate to feel that he could attack such a family, but it might be it would be my hope that any candidate for office would lift up support and honor the parents of a fallen soldier, regardless of the faith, regardless of their national origin or color of their skin. Like any person, a gold star parent has the right to be critical of a public figure, but no public figure should attack such a parent in the way Mr. Trump attacked the cons. And yes, he was set up. Yes, he opened the divide in the conservative movement that used verbiage that conflated Islam with Islamists when Mr. Trump said Islam hates us. He conflated all Muslims 
any believer of Islam with Islamists, the large theopolitical movement that threatens the West. He conflated Muslims with jihadists, again, the violent and nonviolent movements that believe in spreading the Islamic Sharia law across the world. Yes, those are the threats, but his conflation, basically his, his incapacity to articulate what we're fighting, opened up a chasm, I believe, in the conservative movement like we've never seen before, that then the Democrats drove a truck through with some simple prep to these two parents, gold star family parents, that in many ways were, were untouchable, and it wouldn't have made much of an impact, no different than the way Hillary Clinton ignored the grieving mother of Pat Smith who lost her family member in Benghazi, and that got one-fiftieth of the press coverage that the cons received, and yes, for many on the right, uh, that is quite imbalanced, but Hillary didn't respond to her. So at the end of the day, the reason I'm speaking out on this is, again, not to further politicize this issue or take sides. I've never personally, again, this is my opinion, I've never personally voted for a Democrat, and I'm not going to start at this election. But there's also a minimum threshold of a conservative candidate that I'd ever vote for. And from the beginning, I've had my concerns about Mr. Trump, and they are even solidified more. But this in the context of reformation within Islam, I cannot do this work without a vibrant, strong, persuasive concept, idea of what it means to be an American. And unless we have leadership from the White House that is able to articulate what it means to be an American Muslim and that the Muslims that are with us to protect America and to die for this country are the leaders that will help the Muslim world point towards reform against the Islamo-nationalists of ISIS, of Saudi Arabia, of Iran's Islamic Republic, of Pakistan's Islamic Republic, that they will lead the movement to help any reformers, any secularists, any of those who are anti-Islamists. The greatest icons, I believe, for this movement are those who can lead that and are not afraid to die for this country. And this is why the military is ground zero, because just as there's Muslims that have died for this country, there are those Muslims who wore the uniform and became our greatest traitors, be it Nidal Hassan, uh, be it uh, the uh, Navy recruit Abu Jihad, who was here from Phoenix, convicted 25 years for espionage, releasing secrets on the whereabouts of a of a ship uh, heading uh, near Egypt, uh, be it uh, uh, other soldiers that uh, committed or participated in plans of acts of terror that had been co-opted by the Islamist movement. But the problem is, is in our security clearance systems for military, homeland security, others, we still do not have a vetting process against Islamist political movements. And if there's anyone who's going to lead this country into doing it, it would have to be the president who's able to articulate that Islamism is the threat. We need to vet against it inside and outside our militaries. But those Muslims who are ready to be put put their lives on the line that are not Islamists are our greatest heroes 
uh, like any other American. And we need them, and we will celebrate them no different than we do anyone else. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion about what it means to be an American Muslim and where do we go from here as the dust settles from this embarrassing kerfluffle. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This, your faithful American patriot trying to help us find solutions in this battle on the front war that we find ourselves as we are under siege from Europe all the way to San Bernardino. This week has been highlighted by a distraction, I believe. But, uh, you know, from where I'm sitting, it is an important distraction that I cannot ignore. I try to avoid partisan politics because reformation is not about any party, left or right. And, uh, however, there are some major obstacles that can make our work with reform inside the House of Islam virtually impossible. And one of those is the attempt to transform what it means to be an American by the left, which has found itself in bed with the Islamists from Iran to Saudi Arabia to the Muslim Brotherhood, and by the likes of Mr. Trump on the right, who would like to change America into a populist concept that is not about immigration and freedom and liberty. And I'm talking secure immigration. Yes, I'm in favor of a wall. Yes, I'm in favor of the rule of law for immigration. But America, Americanism, is about the Statue of Liberty. It's about those who seek freedom. And our country is their last hope, that city on a hill. That definition of Americanism, I thought the Republican Party had had been... Uh, central to who we are. And so left or right, I will say, as I digress slightly into, I think, inside the mind of what many conservatives are thinking this week, is that somehow we lost, in a, in a, in a different world, in a normal world, Mr. Khan's narrative of lecturing the other party about the Constitution about the enemy which threatens us, having a son who died fighting against the enemy, which are Islamist terrorists, would have been a speech given by an American Muslim conservative standing up for those who serve. As our American Islamic Forum for Democracy has a close relationship with a number of veterans and active duties, um, uh, military sons and daughters, 
we recently uh, uh, were very proud to to have Samir um, on our board, who just graduated from West Point, and now as he's active duty, uh, he has had to step down from that. But I'll tell you, he he is the best of us, and Humayun Khan is the best of us. He died serving, and may God protect all of our men and women in service as they die to keep us free. That is the verbiage I would need and all of us need to hear from anyone running for office from either party. And somehow that verbiage has been abandoned by Mr. Trump. I mean, I don't even hear him use the word liberty. Not only should he use it once in a while, but really daily. I'd like to hear him use the term liberty, freedom, and what we stand for. We should be lecturing the left about constitutionalism, about freedom, about what Americanism is, and that how that ideology of anti-theocratic freedom is the foundations that our founding fathers fought for, for their Christian values against theocracy, and that we should bond and work with Muslim allies that reject theocracy, reject Islamism and jihadism. Unfortunately, Mr. Trump's inability to either listen to his advisors or learn about this ideology, ideological threat, opened up a chasm that the Democrats just drove through. And now if I can step aside from the visceral response I had and just look just for a, few, a minute or so analytically at who the cons are, they are not the best advocates set aside the gold star uh, parent issue. Uh, Mr. Khan had worked, had been very closely allied with the Clinton Foundation. He had worked for a law firm that uh, uh, clearly had uh, done work with the Saudis. His work on immigration had been based on those who would pay exorbitant sums of money in order to come in to the United States. Senator Grassley had uh, actually, in just a few months ago, talked about a lot of the the problems in that system and how it had been co-opted. He was concerned by Iranians and, and Saudis and others that had threatened our security, and he wanted to open investigations into it. So there's no doubt that the politics of Mr. and Mrs. Khan, no different than Cindy Sheehan, were the politics of the left that did not care to look at the ideological threats abroad and how they were incompatible with America. But unfortunately, the lack of ideological strategy from Mr. Trump over the last year when it comes to Muslims, Islam, Jihad, Islamism, left open that vast divide for it to be exploited by the Democrats. And, and secondly, the... Um, response that he had once that speech was given, one of the best speeches uh, at the convention, simply because it was heartfelt, it was personal, um, created this maelstrom that at least should have been avoided and left to the footnote of the Democratic National Convention. But instead, he made comments about his wife standing there silent. Again, a, a comment that in any other realm might have been appropriate, but to a Gold Star family was egregiously inappropriate. She was grieving, and uh, any mother would have stood silent 
uh, in humble humiliation from the loss of her son and humility that she had. So at, at the end of the day, uh, I think it's important that we put the context of these things and, you know, the, the women's rights issues. No one's been more outspoken on women's rights than I have, and I would never think about think about criticizing a gold star parent as, real, as a result. So, you know, is this politics amateur hour and this is what uh, Mr. Trump is, is selling, which is that he has no experience, so he'll make mistakes? You know, that's just not good enough. Yes, the politics is a mosh pit, and uh, but his visceral responses demonstrate somebody who, as president, will likely at the age of 70 make similar mistakes and continue his current pattern. So this story did have a lot of legs, and I think, I hope we can take the next step, which is, to look at how to learn from this regardless of who the next candidate is and both are severely flawed candidates but in this program we will hold not only our presidents but our media our academia our interfaith leaders our neighbors accountable to what their stance is on islamism and reform we are under siege and as i've said many times uh, before we can't expect everyone to become an expert in Sharia or Jihad, but we can expect you to hold Muslims accountable to certain principles as to whether they are compatible with American freedom, with American principles of liberty and the Constitution. So, you know, listen, I would even say, you know, you look at some of the details, Mr. Khan, when he held the Constitution, I wasn't sure if he was talking about the constitutional right to immigrate. There is no constitutional right to immigrate. Yes, I've been concerned sometimes about Mr. Trump's, the impact of his verbiage about what the rest of the country will do to the rights of Muslims when the president does not articulate the equal rights of all faiths. But that's different than telling the candidate he doesn't know what the Constitution is and being an immigration lawyer. Uh, there we should be vetting. Uh, the country has a right to vet against theopolitical ideologies that are incompatible with our country. The country has a right to vet those ideologies when they're applying for security clearances or as refugees or immigrants. So bottom line is, is that, again, that's getting into some of the details, but I do think it's extremely relevant so that at least you understand where I sit on these issues. When we come back, France has begun a purge of some of the ideologies that they believe has left their country at risk. Is that the right way to do it? We'll talk. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. 
Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. To get away from the uh, mosh pit of politics finally and get back to the central topic that you and I will focus on for the most part, which is internal reformation and the battle lines. And now the front of this war, the front, the, the, the country under most siege, I believe, in Europe is France. And we knew that eventually the next shoe would drop and that things would begin to change. And remember, the climate in France is one of a far left lean. This is not a far right leaning government responding to being attacked by radical Islam and doing so out of uh, hyper nationalism. The far left French are responding now strongly. And I think. We need to look at what they're doing and how different it is from the way our own government here in the United States is approaching the threat. And I think one of the amazing things that's happened in the past few days, few days is, and it's it's going relatively unreported. And we heard after the initial attack in Paris, and then the well, the first attack was a Charlie Hebdo attack, but then. A, a larger terror attack in November 2015. And then two of that cell survived and went to Belgium to plan a second and third attack in Belgium. And the reality is, is that now in the past few weeks, we've seen in the past few months, uh, weeks into the last month, a, a series of attacks and last one ended with the, the slaughtering of an 86-year-old French priest, Catholic priest, that you and I had talked about and just were horrified. A lot of people were actually viscerally moved with what happened there. And I think what we didn't hear about here in America is the deep impact that had upon the French people, especially not only the Nice attacks, and the numbers and the the use of the vehicle that just drove into innocent French and killed upwards of 80 people and injured so many more that were celebrating Bastille Day. But what, what I think was missed in this whole story is when Prime Minister Valls visited a memorial service to remember the victims of the Nice terror attack, he was booed as he signed the book of condolence on the promenade d'Anglaise where 84 people died and scores more were injured during the Bastille Day massacre. And President, uh, former President Nicolas Sarkozy had expected and spoken frequently about the need for terror suspects to be placed under house arrest and not be allowed to freely walk. He feels that could have prevented some of them, as many of these individuals that committed acts of terror had been followed by the authorities at one time or other. Prime Minister Valls added in, in a recent report 
This fight against radicalization requires an unprecedented mobilization of public authorities. We need a general mobilization of all public and civil society as a whole. But beyond that, there's the question of the construction of Islam in France, and Muslims therefore have a huge responsibility. So, the French had been talking about legislation that would allow it to remove and expel dual national citizens that may have Iranian citizenship, Syrian, Saudi, etc., that are from countries of threats, and then use that dual citizenship to expel them so they don't have to deal with them. What did they do this last week? The Prime Minister Valls had basically clamped down on radical Islam, calling it a poison, and he said that immediately after the death of the French Catholic priest, Jacques Hamel, who was killed on the altar, as we discussed he said, in response, he is announcing plans to shut down mosques supporting Salafism, an ultra-Orthodox religious political ideology based on a belief in physical jihadism practiced by some followers of the Sunni faith. He said, all Salafists are not jihadists, but almost all jihadists are Salafists. Where have we heard that before? I've talked to you about all Muslims uh, um, you know, all Islamists being Muslims, but all not all Muslims are Islamists. It's interesting that they're using the Salafi jihadi link. And you and I have talked about how, for example, Quilliam Foundation put out a wonderful paper uh, about a year ago saying it's the Salafi jihadism, stupid. And they talked about the insurgency being the, the real issue of the Salafi jihadi insurgency. And he then further... Uh, Valls says, a terrible poison has spread slowly, insidiously on a background of influences from abroad and rising communalism developed against the model of our society, a model against the republic and its values. Many Muslims in France are taken hostage by the fundamentalist Islamism, I'm sorry, Salafism, whose worship is a weapon against others. The places of worship that house preachers will be closed systematically. It is necessary to rethink the training of imams and chaplains completely. France must become a European center of excellence in the teaching of Islamic theology. So this is fascinating. He, on the one hand, wants it to become a European center of excellence for the teaching of Islamic theology, and yet is going to systematically shut down Salafi jihadi mosques. Now, after the the second Paris attacks, there were three mosques in which there were arms and weapons and munitions found in them that I support wholeheartedly, them being shut down and the, the imams being arrested for treason, and that's exactly what their security services should have done, and they did, for the most part, at least shut them down. I support that completely. But the suggestion that certain ideas that may be nonviolent. Now he said most Salafis are not jihadis, but all jihadis are Salafis. Um, that's a little more complicated than that. Uh, Salafism is the belief that you need to return society back to the way it was at the time of the Prophet Muhammad. So I would tell you that all Salafis carry with them 
a political ideology that's incompatible with Westernism because they do not believe in political innovation. So just as Wahhabism, the only difference, Wahhabism is a version of Salafism that's Saudi, that is militant, and is not rooted in nonviolence, but rather more so violence. So he's right, Salafi Jihadism, call it Salafi Wahhabism. Those folks do carry ideologies that are a direct militant threat. Now the problem is, is that the transformation from nonviolent Salafism to violent Salafism can happen overnight, it can happen in a few days, and yes, Salafism should be monitored very closely, and that's where the political correctness needs to end. But don't think for a minute that just shutting the doors of that mosque will make that problem go away. They'll open up in the homes elsewhere, they'll open up in a place not calling it a mosque, they'll have their meetings underground, they'll go deep off the grid. And actually, that will make them more potent. They will no longer be attentive to what the antiseptic of the light of day will do. I will no longer, and many reformists will no longer be able to expose and tape their sermons and release them publicly because they are public speeches. They will then be protected as privacy and private speech, which makes them more potent in a network grounded in religious communication and the ummah or the Muslim community. If you think I'm wrong, ask Egypt, ask Uzbekistan, ask Tajikistan, ask Russia, ask even Saudi Arabia that claims to be our ally and then executes and takes away the rights of those who become violent while they feed the nonviolent portion. Now, France would obviously not necessarily be doing the feeding part, but shutting down mosques wholesale that are Salafi is going to make this laboratory of excellence that he claims very difficult because then all of the imams will rush to claim to be pro-French, pro-civil rights, and pro-anything that makes them seem assimilated while actually reforming the Sharia texts that are on their shelves that defend the killing of apostates, defend blasphemy laws, defend um, any of the ideas that are Salafi, but they just will now no longer talk about. So when we come back, I would like to continue talking to you about, well, what should the French be doing? What is the solution next for them? Yes, shut down the mosques that are preaching violence, that are preaching anarchy, that are uh, um, condoning terrorism. But those mosques that preach nonviolent ideology that's incompatible, a sharia that's not 21st century but 13th century, especially in the West, they should be exposed, but why doesn't shutting them down work? And what do we do? How do you develop those Muslims that would be real leaders for a new French Islam? You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Patents 2. Donuts in flight and the first U.S. approved drone delivery uh, with a chicken sandwich, hot coffee and donuts. 
Aviation history was made on Friday. Yeah, baby. 7-Eleven. It happened from 7-Eleven? Yeah. Why not Amazon? Yeah. Items loaded into a special box for hot and cold food and then flown to a local family. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment of Reform This. I hope week to week you begin to build with me sort of a construct of what are the values we should push as the pressure points for reform, how to do this quicker rather than slower, sooner rather than later, and what are the steps to doing this. And the French are beginning to finally be driven to do this. And it's still amazing to me. I think the French, through their laïcité policies, which have long been uh, sort of the French identity of secularism, anti-theocracy. In many ways, as somebody who loves my faith, I, I think many of the faithful, especially in America, built on religious freedom as the first freedom, those who are devout Christians who form this country do have a quite different take on democracy than the French do in that laïcité would never take hold again, thank God, in America. But some of the core principles of equality under God, the core principles of uh, a lack of a faith test or religious test for our political leaders, there are commonalities to that. But the laïcité policies of France, I believe, are also one of the barriers to fighting radical Islam because it comes across as anti-religious. Their move to ban the burqa, for example, combined with a move to ban the yarmulke, to ban the cross in public uh, on people's dress, etc. So the anti-religious movement allows Islamists to then claim common cause with other faiths that are not pre-modern, that have gone through Reformation. So again, this is the pretext to many of these attacks that ultimately created an environment that radical Islam thrived, that French identity did not appeal to a theological Muslim identity that could develop a robust theological narrative against radical Salafi jihadism as now Prime Minister Valls, President Hollande, and others are beginning to wake up to their need to do. But I do think that their ability to describe it as Islamism as the threat, radical Islamism, jihadism, and Salafism, the fact that their government leaders are beginning to articulate the very words that, as I testified to Senator Cruz's committee a, a month ago, these very movements that we won't even identify are major liabilities. The fact that we we can't even articulate it shows how far behind we are from the French and the British and others that are beginning to wake up to this. But again, they've had many more attacks, and I hope that's not what it takes for America to follow their lead. Boy, we're not even leading from behind anymore. We, we have to follow their lead. Well, the French this week showed that they're beginning to clean house when it comes to radical Islam. But I hope 
they realize that any effort that's not led by Muslim reformers, led by a potent movement from within Islam as a movement of tough love, will actually backfire and ultimately not only cause thriving of radical movements underground, but not bring about the reforms of this center of excellence that Prime Minister Valls had talked about this week. Because I think ultimately the solution for it to come from within the house of Islam, yes, it will need to purge the violent jihadists, but the pools in which they swim of Salafism should be marginalized, should be ostracized as the way the Nazi party, the way the Communist Party was ostracized in the Cold War, the Nazi party after World War II, until this day, today, in America, those hate groups exist. We monitor them with our anti-hate groups, uh, be it groups uh, that do heroic work like the ADL, uh, so many of the uh, Jewish civil rights organizations, uh, and uh, other groups that monitor hate groups and their impact, they can't monitor them if these groups were made illegal and pushed underground. And I think Europe demonstrates that. The many European countries have hate hate speech laws that prevents speech spoken publicly that not only condones violence but preaches certain types of extreme bigotry. And that actually, I think, is why they have a bigger problem with neo-Nazi groups and, and other types of movements that are based on racial hatred and racism. So if you're going to beat and defeat radical Islam, you need to work with allies that are solutions from within the Muslim community, and you need to ostracize the movements and pull it out from its root and its interpretations that come from Saudi Arabia, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, Jamaat Islamiyah in Pakistan, and other so-called Islamic republics. And the allies that are so-called allies with the Organization of Islamic Cooperation that we've talked about frequently, that strategy needs to highlight not only the text and the materials, but the relationships with these foreign governments. And Prime Minister Valls did say that they would cut off foreign funding. Perfect. That's exactly what needs to happen. I've been asking for that for years in the United States, and I keep being told that, well, there's other monies that come from Europe and foundations getting monies, <clears throat> Clinton Foundation and others, uh, getting monies from foreign governments is sort of standard operating procedure. And they said it's not only Middle East, it's Europe, England, UK, the UK, France, etc., that share money with foundations here in the U.S. that make that impossible. I think the French are telling us that's not impossible. If there's a will, there has to be a way, and foreign money flowing into the coffers of foundations and theological institutions that then allow the Islamist mafia to dominate our community, it has to end, has to be stopped, and it can be stopped. There's no constitutional right that the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia have to dump their billions into the United States of America. I'm sorry, that's not a constitutional right. But it doesn't only have to be the mosques. I hope that the same would apply to foreign lobbyists, <clears throat> not only Clinton Foundation, but the Haley Barbers of the world and others 
that have made a significant, uh, or the Podestas of the world that made significant money on Putin, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, others that spend billions, if not tens of millions or billions, in order to silence the American political establishment on criticizing their regimes, criticizing their theological ideas that infuse our minorities, our Muslim population especially, and Islamicize them and bring forth the Islamist political movement. Yes, Prime Minister Valls is right. Wahhabism, Salafi jihadism is a poison, but it needs to be rooted out by a concerted campaign, a counter-ideological campaign of reformists. And look at our Muslim reform movement and its declaration, and I would hope that the solution will become for these leaders of foreign nations and all nations, including our own nation, begin to look at the Muslim Reform Movement Declaration as the solution, where Muslims that adopt those become highlighted as the allies that will become that laboratory of excellence that the French government now is talking about for Islam that's compatible with their ideas versus the Islam that's the enemy that is part of the Salafi jihadist mentality. Without using documents like our declaration, I, I just, and I would ask you to look at our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration. We've talked about it on this program, talked to you about how it condemns blasphemy laws, condemns apostasy laws, calls for the end of the caliphate, the end of all violent jihad, the end of any Islamic state concept, and the adherence and the belief and the rapt, the, the rapture of the belief that secular governance is the ultimately best form of society constitutional democracy is what we seek to support and defend and that we will defeat Islamist theocracy. And then it goes on about the equality of men and women. So these are all principles that are need to be central to policies of how we determine which Muslims work with us versus those that work against us. The French are finally headed in the right direction, but they can't overshoot. We see how candidates like Mr. Trump overshoot and what that can do to allow the other side to then completely create bigger obstacles from the one that we started with. And if the French overshoot and start shutting down mosques, they'll not only make it very impossible to monitor these folks, it will make countering them, seeing them, exposing the pre-violent ideologies, the precursor to those who become our enemies, our pre-enemies, the fundamentalism that seeks to spread the fertilizer and the ideas that grows into the militants. We can't monitor the precursors if we shut down the places that ultimately have been proven to be the intoxicants that threaten us. Thank you for joining me. I hope you take a few things that you learn in this journey that you and I take together week to week to take to your neighbors, take to your media contacts, your congressmen and women, senators, your local representatives, and hold them accountable. Talk about this. Bring Muslims in. Ask them what they feel about the Muslim reform movement. But come up with thoughtful solutions that don't surrender who we are as Americans to the Islamists. 
This is Zudi Jasser, your faithful host of Reform This. Thank you for joining me again this week on another episode, and I look forward to talking to you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.